Hello video game fans, this is Push Dustin, and this is Memory Card. We're doing another set of episodes featuring some wonderful guest experts. This time I actually invited uh, Colin Dram. He probably works with Source Gaming, but he also does streaming and has worked with Zelda Informer in the past. Hello. How are you doing today, Colin? I'm doing pretty alright. You're bringing us a, a very different story than one that we usually don't cover on uh, here on Memory Card. It's uh, primarily about a PC game. Yep, it is uh it is about Portal 2, specifically all the uh shenanigans Valve went through to announce Portal 2. Well, let's go ahead and get ready for this episode. So let's boot it up. Before we begin, let's go ahead and just um for everyone who may not be in the know, let's, uh, let's explain what's Portal. Portal is a first-person puzzle platformer, and it is a game where you go through Aperture Science, which is a nondescript, cryptic, uh, underground lab facility. And you are a test subject with uh, the name Shell, and you have a gun, or you at least collect a gun, that shoots uh, two portals, blue and orange, and you use them to traverse the environments but also manage to uh kind of manipulate the space so you can uh have you know use like crates and turrets and um balls of energy to kind of achieve what you need to do to solve the puzzle in the room to move on to the next uh test chamber and then at the very end uh there's this really cool thing where you kind of break free and there's a villain to the story and you have to defeat the villain and escape from the facility and that might seem like a spoiler but it is uh extremely important to the story and it also sets up the the events of portal 2 exactly the interesting thing is actually this story probably starts way earlier than just portal oh it starts all the way back with really half-life 1 and that's because valve uh is a seattle-based video game company started by Gabe Newell and a few other ex-Microsoft employees. And they wanted to, you know, break out of the software business, which is ironic because they would eventually go back into the software business with Steam. <laughs> but they broke out because they wanted to make uh, a game that was basically a cross between Doom and Super Mario 64. And that's how we got Half-Life. Mm -hmm. And from there... Valve had uh, Valve has always been a company that has loved fan creations and mods and just general community based interaction with games and the tools to make them, which is, I think, probably one of the most important pieces, not only to this story, but really Valve's entire legacy, because all of their subsequent game franchises that we know and love from them, like Team Fortress, Counter-Strike, Day of Defeat, Left 4 Dead, Ricochet, which we'll never talk about again. <laughs> yeah, because that's kind of disappeared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of these sub-franchises more or less started as mods, either from Quake or Half-Life itself, that Valve eventually uh, created into their own IPs. And Portal is more or less no different. It actually started as a uh, student project called Narbuncular Drop. Yeah which Valve, uh, some Valve employees saw at a showcase were incredibly 
just impressed by and basically told the developers, do you want to come work for Valve? And eventually they got together, you know, came to Valve and they started work on Portal, which was released as one of five games released in the 2007 compilation, The Orange Box, which included Half-Life 2, mm -hmm. the two Half-Life episodes, uh, kind of, you know, post-release episodes, Team Fortress 2 and Portal. That was such an amazing deal back in the day. It still is. It still is one of uh, one of the greatest, I think, releases in video game history, because you just got mm -hmm. so much content that that spans like three different genres. Basically, you have like a single player campaign, you have like a single player puzzler, and then you have uh, probably one of the greatest multiplayer games of all time. And that's what really helped Team Fortress to become a superstar in its own right. Yeah, after nine years of development, <laughs> it was <Yeah>. finally released. <laughs> and of course, Portal is, uh, I mean, it's its probably one of the best games ever made. Mm -hmm. I, I just played through it again the other day because its it's a game you can beat in 80 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that game has no flaws at all. I think the only problem I have with it, the platforms could move a little faster. And the Source engine loves to uh, launch you in random directions sometimes when you land weirdly on a surface, <laughs> thus leading to like the two times I died in the entire game. But otherwise, Portal is still a just, you know, 10 out of 10, like perfect video game. And they actually even have like uh, bonus rooms like outside of the main campaign. Yep, they released it on Xbox 360 Live Arcade as Portal Still Alive with a bunch of challenge rooms. And I believe they, they didn't bring all of them over but i think they brought some of them over and they updated the pc release with them yeah and then i think they eventually they added like um mod support for portal one is that right yep uh, all of the valve games have open uh, mod tools which comes into uh the second part of this story sort of the uh concurrent storyline to all of this which is uh because there there is two stories to this to this entire event there's the the public perception of what was going on and the behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. From the behind-the-scenes perspective, we talk about a man named Adam Foster. Adam Foster, for the longest time, was a map maker who had made custom maps for Doom, Doom 2. Uh, he made a mod called Someplace Else for Half-Life 1. And most famously, he made a mod called Minerva for Half-Life 2. And Minerva is actually considered by many to be almost an anti-modification. Their words, not mine. Because it's it's designed to be sort of the antithesis of uh, Valve and other major uh, developers' level design in first-person shooters. He basically wanted to make a world that actually feels like a real environment and not just a box with a hallway that leads to another box. It's a fantastic mod. One that feels like realized. Exactly. Valve certainly agreed with this and they hired him in 2008 to be a level designer on half-life 2 episode 3 oh <laughs> that's that's another tale for another time uh but minerva is a fantastic mod and if you want to play it uh it's on steam you can just download it through steam and there you go you just need the a source engine game right yeah, exactly. I think it's a I think it's an episode one mod now. And they're free. Yeah, it's free. So anyway, flash forward to March 1st, 2010. And, you know, you're sitting there at your laptop. You you're 
forwarding angry video game nerd videos to your friend over Skype or doing whatever the hell you were doing in 2010. And you notice Portal gets an update in the Steam client. Now, it's actually not that weird for old Valve games to get updates because uh, Valve is actually pretty good at updating their old games with uh, new bug fixes and compatibility updates. But it's a little stranger when the update is about a gig and a half in size. You don't expect that for a game that's six gigabytes and also three years old. Mm -hmm. So naturally, people immediately went, well, time to check the patch notes because, yeah. you know, what would they just add some new levels? And it said, and I quote, changed radio transmission frequency to comply with federal and state spectrum management regulations. <laughs> So naturally, as you could imagine, immediately on the Steam forums, there is a discussion being started going, all right, what, what is this? Mm -hmm. So naturally, people booted up Portal to see what happened, and they found that nothing had been changed, except all of a sudden, in, in all of the test chambers, there, was, there would just be a randomly placed radio. Mm -hmm. And you pick it up, and it's, make, you know, it's playing the same, you know, you know, the same music you hear all the time. But if you pick it up and you start carrying around the level, the, the audio starts changing and it starts becoming this like scrambled, messy, just just like horrible, like just combination of random noises until you move it into a specific corner where it starts playing Morse code. Mm. And interestingly enough, there, there even was a achievement attached to this and it's still in the game. All you had to do was uh, put all of the radios in the proper location. And then if you do that, I think it's like 26 times or something, uh, you get the achievement, which basically the description is just an exclamation point, which is, you know, very helpful. Yeah. So immediately, so this, there's this one, there's this one old Steam forum thread. I, I don't know if it's still up. I imagine it still is. It, someone has to have archived it somewhere. By, by the time an hour had passed, I think it already had like 130 pages. Because, you know, everyone goes to the Steam forums to go, you know, what, what is going on? <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to give a, a somewhat abbreviated version of, of the events because there's, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, but essentially, what happened was uh, you have all these Morse code messages and people write them down. The next step that people did, naturally was to just open up the game files because yeah. Valve, you know, when you install a Valve game, everything is there. You don't have to unlock or unpack everything. Just everything is in plain, you know, files. So the next thing to do was to, you know, open the files up, look at the names, and uh, that didn't really bring us anywhere. But people are going through the Morse code stuff and they're finding that all the Morse code is translating to little messages. And, and most of it's kind of nonsense, but there's a couple that are sort of a, a dead giveaway, or, or at least they're, they're hinting at something else. Mm -hmm. Like one of them is a, a hash code, an MD5 hash code. Uh, another translates to uh, a username and a password for, for some sort of an account. Uh, another one is... <laughs> morse code for lol <laughs> which is just to mess with people but of course people had to, like they're, they're like all right we have the physical files there has to be something more to this mm. i don't know how anyone figures this out i don't know how any like this crosses anyone's mind but they go 
hey, I have a slow scan television like piece of software on my computer. What if there's images hidden in these files? Mm. And sure enough, there was. There was grainy, like, 16-bit photos of of random stuff, including random uh, digits, random words, just all sorts of just, like, crazy stuff. Like, there's one that's, like, of a, of a skull, of a back of a computer case. You know, really cryptic, kind of science-y stuff. Mm. Hours pass, and people are going, okay, we need to take everything we have and try to decode all of this. So people are, you know, checking all these images for, you know, scattered numbers or or words and trying to force them into an anagram. Eventually, they manage to take all the numbers from from all the various images. Yeah. And it created another MD5 hash, which again is hinted at in one of the Morse code messages. So what's a MD5 hash? It's it's basically just an encrypted code. Okay. Usually it's used to kind of verify that a file you downloaded is exactly what it is. Mm. But yeah, it's just like basically another type of code. And it created a number, uh, like a phone number. So people started calling it. And it it wasn't like you call it and it just rings a bunch of times and then hits a, a voicemail. People would call, it would ring once, and then immediately hang up. So maybe it's not a phone number. Maybe it's it's a fax machine. So people are digging around their parents' house looking for a fax machine, yeah. trying to go, hey, is this, you know, is this Shell? Is this GLaDOS? Is this, is this Gordon Freeman? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and uh, that wasn't doing anything. And then I remember this. Mm-hmm. There was one guy on the Steam forums who said, well, I have a 56K modem. This is 2010. By that point, like everyone had already moved over to broadband, but there was about like maybe five people. You'd always know that one guy who still had a modem. Yeah, he's like, hey, it still works. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you know, this might be a bulletin board system. Uh, and a bulletin board system, if you don't know, is is basically like the predecessor to Internet forums, except this is how people talked on the Internet in the 70s and 80s. When, when things would appear. Yeah. You, you typed in a number into your command prompt you, to, like, connect to it. And then you connected to some guy's, like, house. And he's hosting a big forum where other people are connecting to. This led to a, a very funny moment where uh, people had to go on the Steam forums and tell people to stop calling the number so the guy with the modem could actually connect to it. Because, again, the way a modem works, if anyone calls the number, the internet is totally interrupted. You just cannot do anything about it. (laughs) Meanwhile, of course, people saw this phone number and they saw that uh, it is a Seattle area code. So they were like, oh, Valve, you know, specifically, it actually was uh, the area code from the suburb where Valve was funded, like where their old offices are. Mm hmm. So people are, are, you know, there are some people that live in Seattle, so they go to check it out for whatever reason, just, you know, because they're in the neighborhood. There are cop cars up and down the block, Mm. and there is just a ton of policemen raiding a nearby building that just so happens to be the building where the game developer Infinity Ward of Call of Duty fame uh, is resided. So, as you can imagine, people were really like, what the hell is going on in Seattle tonight? Because Valve is doing whatever the hell this is, and, and Infinity Ward is getting raided by the police. 
Yeah, why were why were they raided? Uh, it turned out this was part of the big hullabaloo with Infinity Ward going, "Hey, Activision, would you uh, would you would you consider paying us for making that smash hit game, Modern Warfare 2? And Activision went, "Uh, corporate espionage." That's right. I think you guys were part of corporate espionage. <laughs> and so they sent a tip to the police of Seattle to uh, raid the Infinity Ward offices and search for any uh, wrongdoings and any evidence of co- corporate espionage and to arrest the two heads of Infinity Ward. Oh, my God. No one knew what the hell that was about for like two years. <laughs> Hey listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a moment to talk about supporting Memory Card via Patreon. If you're hearing this, you're probably not one of our patrons. How do we know? It's because all patrons enjoy ad-free episodes. Other perks include shoutouts, early access to episodes and bonus content, and even the chance to come on the show. If you enjoy Memory Card, we hope you consider pledging even a dollar or two, or three, or four, you know, just, just even a little bit helps. For more information, head to patreon.com slash memcard. And now, back to the show. Where'd I put that controller? So the guy connects to the BBS, the bulletin board system, and boom, we finally get somewhere. In fact, it it straight up says, like, welcome to the Aperture Science, the Aperture Labs GLaDOS bulletin board system. Please (laughs) log in. And one of the images had a login, backup, backup. So someone, you know, they logged in. And what they got, and this is really interesting, was a a ton of ASCII art of what looked like ruins of Aperture Science, of of strange robots, of Mm. of a a random woman wearing a suit, along with other little borderline clip art. Of, you know, just sciencey stuff and hearts and all that. I just remember this being extremely exciting. There was nothing really like this before. Like, there are video game ARGs, like the iHug Bees of um, Halo 2. Yeah, that one was pr- pretty big. I think by five minutes in, most people are like, yeah, they're announcing a new portal thing. But of course, you know, there was no announced thing at all. This was tied to just a game from 2007, and it was leading people to think like, oh, there's mentions of Aperture in Half-Life 2 Episode 2. What if this is a Half-Life 3 thing? Yeah. What if they're going to announce the black box that has Portal 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 3 and Ricochet 2? You know, just yeah. like really reaching for stuff. And this this went on for a couple days. And it would get updated with new images and also some flavor text from a character named Cave Johnson, which uh, only some people knew who Cave Johnson was because uh, it actually had leaked that a character named Cave Johnson was going to be in a Portal sequel from two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that um, actor leak. Yeah, there was. uh, That's unfortunate, but I I think by that point, everyone was kind of in on it. And then uh, on March 3rd, Portal was updated yet again, this time with the patch note of added valuable asset re- retrieval. And and uh, again, for the most part, the game was basically the same, mm. except uh, you get to the ending of the game after you defeat GLaDOS and you get shot through the roof of Aperture Labs and uh, you land outside, where in the original game, uh, you just saw the remains of GLaDOS kind of raining down and then it faded to black and then you saw the little cake cutscene 
followed by Jonathan Colton still alive. Here, a bunch of robotic noises would play, and you would hear, please assume the party escort submission position. Mm-hmm. And Shell would slowly get dragged away before it faded to black and the rest of the ending played. I remember uh, playing Portal uh, again for that new ending, and it was just so frustrating <laughs> to see. Yeah, it's so it's so odd. And they added a couple new files just to kind of, uh, you know, mess with people, just to give something more to dig around with. Mm-hmm. And then people naturally re-logged back into the BBS and found that a timer had started and the timer most of it was just like every time you logged in it showed a different eta and a a different just random set of numbers or or random integers and stuff it would change from like six days to 43 femtoseconds or about seven Mm. or cave johnson's birthday just random you know stuff to kind of throw you off and then on March 5th, coinciding with the end of this of this countdown of this little progress bar on the bulletin board system, the new issue of Game Informer was released, and right on the cover was a big Portal 2 revealed. Oh. And when you actually got the issue in your hands, and you opened it up, you realized that all that ASCII art you were looking at on the BBS were screenshots and concept art of Portal 2 done in that text style oh ascii art by the way i didn't i didn't explain this is um when you recreate photos with random characters from a keyboard like you use dashes and numbers to kind of yeah the number symbols yeah make an image out of uh characters yeah characters yeah that is that is probably the best word for it yeah um and this was of course coupled with a couple of images showing up with another uh login for the bbs that basically had some like, hey, congrats, you, you, you did it. You, you beat, you know, our game. Just like thanking everyone for, for kind of going along with it. And then, of course, Valve officially announced the game on Steam. Yeah. That's kind of it. Like, it didn't, it didn't really end so much as it kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. And then it would kind of continue throughout the entire marketing for, for Portal 2. Valve would just hint at it, kind of hinting that, oh, maybe it's not over, even though there was kind of really nothing left. On March 11th, Gabe Newell was awarded the uh, the Pioneer Award during the Game Choice Awards, mm. and he was like, oh, let me explain what the Portal 2 ARG was the whole time, and then a fake Windows blue screen of death showed up with the GLaDOS instead of Windows logo, kind of like name. <laughs> and then there was there was a second ARG. And, and I'm not going to go into the full details of this one, because this one's inherently way less interesting and didn't really have anything to do with anything. But it was just, it was cute. It was called the uh, Potato Fool's Day ARG. Oh, yeah. I think I remember that. It was also known as the Potato Sack, but I, I always called it the Potatoes Bundle, because Humble Bundle, I think, had just started at the time. So everyone was just kind of... And it was like a tie to a bunch of potato... Like, it was like an April Fool's Potatoes. Yeah, basically... It's it's weird because like it's it kind of like gives away like part of the game like not that uh mm, not that important yeah there's a part in Portal Two I mean the game's a decade old there's a part in Portal Two where Glados is uh, like AI is taken out of oh yeah she comes back and uh, it's taken out of her robot body and put into a little potato yeah this is before Pickle Rick 
Yeah, this is this is long before Pickle Rick. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like in the marketing, they didn't really want to hint at this. But then in the last month, they were just like, ah, screw it. Like, there you go. She's in a she's in a potato for some reason. Yeah. And basically what they did was they uh, they did a really cool kind of neato thing where uh, Valve basically met with the developers of 13 different indie games, including stuff like uh, like uh, Am- Amnesia, The Dark Descent, Odd, uh... Reckless Disregard for Gravity, Toki Tori, that sort of thing. And they basically said, hey, go crazy, make some portal content for your indie game, and uh, we'll have achievements tied to it. And if enough people buy the bundle mm-hmm. and enough people achieve these achievements over a span of like two weeks, we'll unlock Portal 2 early by about half a day, which is not not a crazy fun prize bonus, but it's it's cool. Yeah, it was cool because I, I got, actually got introduced to a bunch of games through it, like Ah uh, and uh, Tiki, Tiki Talk. It was initially met with a little bit of criticism. Because it had been snuck out that Valve basically said, like, yeah, you know, carte blanche to use the portal license. But they weren't really footing the the bill of development costs. They were just kind of assuming that everyone would make a ton of money. And the crazy thing is that they assumed totally right. Yeah. Because I, I, I forget which developer in particular. I think it was um the Amnesia developers basically said, like, they made all of the money... No, it was actually the uh, ah disregard for gravity developers who said like everything we made like that was portal related um was completely paid off tenfold by like the first day. Uh and a lot of the content's really good. Uh I think my favorite is what they did with Amnesia where they basically made a 30-minute Amnesia spin-off called Amnesia Justine. Yeah. Which is actually a remake of the story of Portal but done in the style of an Amnesia game. Mm. So you start off in a cell with a gramophone, kind of similar how you start off in the little kind of testing apparatus with a radio, and then you escape, and then you have to do all these different puzzles uh, before being chased by a monster who is supposed to kind of look like GLaDOS, but right side up. It has all these bird cages on this character, kind of simulating all the different personality cores that GLaDOS has on her. Mm-hmm. I just remember it being really cute. If you actually buy new versions of Amnesia, it comes with Justine. Like, the, the new Switch version of Amnesia has Justine. Oh, they actually even ported it. Yeah, it's really cute. I really like that. And then again, uh, the ARG just kind of stopped. There's there's little references and hints to it in Portal 2 itself. Like, there's a uh, there's a section where you, you find the den of a character called the Ratman. He's a recurring character in both Portal 1 and 2. You never see him, but he has all this, like, cryptic writing on the wall. He's the one that started everyone's favorite inside joke, the cake is a lie. Yeah, he he serves as, like, the connector between the two stories, really. Yeah, and they even gave him a little comic book. Yeah. As, like, a little side thing. And uh, and there's, a, there's one of his little dens in Portal 2. If you turn on the developer commentary mode, Adam Foster placed a little commentary node that when you click it it just plays a bunch of random noises you know as sort of a throwback and i don't i i wasn't able to find anything to relating to if there is anything to do with that noise i assume there's like a you know a slow scan television image in it but i just couldn't find it but yeah that's that's basically where that story ends except that it made everyone extremely apprehensive about whenever Valve updated anything ever again. <laughs> yeah. Well, now everything has to be data mined and, and checked through. Yeah, exactly. 
the flip side of this, going back to the behind the scenes part of this, is uh, it, it all comes back to Adam Foster. Basically, they uh, all the people, you know, the Portal 2 team at Valve were sort of putting all these materials together for the Game Informer reveal. And they basically said, well, is there something we could do to kind of, you know, hype this up to make this like really cool? And uh, I think one person who wasn't Adam Foster said what if we did like an ARG or something an alternate reality game yeah and adam foster went hey that's uh that's my thing you see adam foster loves ARG he has this like big passion for it uh an ARG i should have explained this also way earlier <laughs> actually no that now is the perfect time to explain it because the story the story is over now i can explain what the point of this is and an alternate reality game is when a group of individuals or an individual kind of create a false narrative, sort of a false story that's supposed to take place like in the real life. Yeah. And so instead of just writing a story, they use real world technologies and uses to sort of make this story to make it more interaction, like interactive because it is a game. There is an end game. There's an end game. There's an end goal. It's like a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons, except they're they're people are going outside of their rooms. Uh, I think probably one of the most famous alternate reality games, at least pertaining, I think, to what most people would remember outside of video games, would be um, uh, Lonely Girl Fifteen, which was a YouTube channel that was like a vlog for this one high school girl, but then it ended up turning into this like crazy kind of occult. She gets wrapped up in this big murder plot and everything, and it turns out, oh, the whole thing was just, you know, just a big interactive work of fiction. Adam Foster, like, most of the stuff I've said in this episode has, for the most part, been recounted from memory, because I just remember being on the Steam forums on my iPhone 3GS, you know, <laughs> on, like, the bus to school, keeping up with the new information about what was going on with the bulletin board system. But he's made some really fantastic articles and blog posts kind of detailing everything. One of the, I mean, one of the things Adam Foster did when he got hired by Valve was he created a fake Polish number station that people had to decode that turned into like GPS coordinates for Valve's headquarters. And that was his way of announcing to the modding community, hey, I've been hired by Valve. So he, he just really likes puzzles. Yeah. If you go to, like, his Flickr account, you can actually see he, he just straight up posted most of the images that were in the uh, slow scan television and just kind of, you know, you can just see them in their full blown high resolution glory. Um, and uh, he still works at Valve. Uh, for the longest time, he was just doing Portal 2 and Steam VR stuff. But the last blog post on his blog was a uh, screen cap, or at least just a the poster for Half-Life Alex, which means, in a way, yeah, he, he actually did get to work on a third Half-Life game, <laughs> after all. Since then, they've, they've, they've dabbled in the ARG stuff. Half-Life Alex supposedly has an ARG in it, just it hasn't gone very far. It seems like the people working on it uh, hit sort of a dead end. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's really about it. And honestly, I think it, it's better that they left it as sort of a uh, a one-off thing because i feel like if they really did keep using it as a way to be like oh, half-life three you know like i it would just would have worn out its welcome mm -hmm. 
it just would have seemed like a bunch of needless work. And I'm sure at some point they would have to keep upping the ante. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the story of the one hype cycle I was a part of for a video game. (laughs) The one hype that you believed in. Yeah, because it was it was cool. It was cool as heck. All right. Well, where can people find you? Uh, They can find me at my Twitter and my Twitch and my YouTube, even though I never update my YouTube. I need to do it soon. And I only sometimes Twitch. Uh, But for the most part, if you want to follow the things that I'm actively doing, it is my Twitter and Source Gaming. So there you go. All right. Thank you so much. Sure thing. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by the talented chiptune artist Jamatar. You can go ahead and find some of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBenTendo, and Push Dustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jose Acosta, and Taylor Bias. All of our Patreon information can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back real soon with some more gaming history goodness. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review if you enjoy the show. We'll see you soon.